Welcome to episode 28 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my cordial co-host, Eddie Kramer. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Good evening, Eddie. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Winston. And we have a guest with us tonight. We do. You are not the only Texan here today. We're happy to have Vince Ramirez uh, from Kyle, Texas, also known as Vince Fab on Instagram. How are you doing, Vince? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Nice to talk to you guys finally on this podcast. Yeah, well, yeah, we've been uh, trying to get Vince on probably for about a year, right? Um, just kind of timing on this end and that end. <laughs> uh, Finally got it worked out, so really glad to have you on, Vince. Yeah, so unlike you or me, Vince actually has a real shop. Um, hey, Vince, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do there or what you guys are doing in your shop in Kyle? Well, we're uh, I'm in a little shop. Uh, we mainly focus on high-performance automotive aftermarket parts and basically stuff that other people don't make. And... Uh, I share that shop with uh, a tech company, and, and it's a really nice uh, synergistic relationship. They, they do the tech, I do all the fabrication, we all work together. So there's always something that's interesting in the shop. So you guys are doing like custom, uh, basically custom build, custom engine, modification, chassis, body, the whole thing, right? Kind of a speed shop? Pretty much a speed shop, everything except for the tuning in the house and bodywork and paint, because that's just too messy. But uh, we do all the fun stuff, definitely. Yeah, so I think um, from what I've seen on Instagram, you're you're kind of multi talented guy. You've got uh, welding, fabrication, and uh, now CNC going on. Um, that's kind of what you bring to the mix, right? I try, and when you're in a one person shop, it, it really helps to be able to do everything and not have to outsource anything. Uh, it helps just to keep all those profits, you know, inside. Yeah. So how long have you been doing this? Uh, the fabrication? Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, has it always been with cars or did you, yeah, how'd you kind of get your start? Uh, it, it has actually always been with cars and it's not that I was actually interested in cars, it's just how it happened. I got my start at, at actually my second job when I lived in Arizona, huge company at the time. And I was hired on as a, a helper. And the guy was helping quit three days later. So they asked me if I wanted to take over this department. And one thing led to another. And I pretty much learned how to MIG weld, uh, do all kinds of fabrication, uh, teach people how to weld my parts. I had welders under me. And it's a pretty cool experience. They, they had a million-dollar laser, uh, CNC press brakes, uh, probably about 30 CNC machines. And looking back, I kind of kicked myself not paying more attention to that but because i didn't know how to program or anything like that it was kind of always out of my reach yeah so you're you were kind of more focused on the welding and sheet metal work at the time yeah pretty much welding i did uh two bending uh they taught me how to do we're on a cnc plasma not program it just run it uh, i did lathe work drill press stuff a lot of manual and it was just something that clicked with me and i feel like i'm very lucky because i found what i was meant to do at a very very early age i was 18 at the time so I've been doing that my whole working life. Wow. So you were eventually, did you get into any kind of machining there, even like manual machining or? Yeah, there was manual machining. There was lathe work. There was uh, for fixtures and stuff like that. But. And you weren't doing any CNC yourself, right? At that time? 
No, there was a guy in the office, and I'll never forget this guy. His name was Lalo. And anything you wanted later that day, you could pretty much have in your hand. And it's just kind of crazy. I wish I could go back and uh, pay a little more attention to that part. <laughs> I think the solution is uh, now you got to get a plasma table. Or, well, there's there's some other things, but yeah. I have a plasma cutter, but there's some other things in the work. So, yeah. So you so at some point, how'd you end up in Texas? Is that um, and you have your own your own gig going now, right? This yes, yes, I, it's my own little shop. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but uh, so I used to live in Arizona, and I moved to Puerto Rico, kind of on a whim. Just stuff wasn't going every you know right for me in Arizona, so I just I actually sold everything I had, uh, except for my TIG welder. Moved to Puerto Rico, and started. Uh, fabricating uh, and doing race stuff on GTRs and high-end stuff out there. And a friend of mine in here in Texas called to help me out with his uh, Viper shop. And so I came down to help him out, uh, make a little bit more money, but also a really cool opportunity. And uh, yeah, that's how I came to Texas. And so um, so I've seen some of the, some of the uh, cars you've worked on down there. Um, for some of our listeners that may not remember, Winston and I visited Vince's shop last year, uh, late last year, saw some crazy stuff going on. Lots of big turbos, big intercoolers uh, on some some small import cars, right? So what kind of, what are some of the big projects you've worked on there that you can talk about? The big projects lately or, or the ones all around? Because we've done some crazy stuff. Yeah, or any that you want to, you know, any that were kind of memorable to you. Oh, uh, one of the ones that's been real memorable to me is uh, actually this Evo we just finished. It, it has on an intake manifold that, that I designed in Fusion 360 and, and cut, I think, 11 pieces on the Shape Oko for it. And it's the second one of the batch, which is, it's always the hardest. People think the first thing of something is the hardest, and it's not. It's the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. You know, you need to be able to have that process to make them over and over. And it went together... Great. So right now it's actually a powder coating. It's going to come back and the car is going to be tuned pretty, pretty soon. Pretty excited about that. It's making this, the fifth one be the same as the first. It's always the hard part, right? Oh yeah. And then stuff starts to change and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, at this point, um, you've got this, you've got at least one, maybe two shape Ocos. Um, CNC is pretty well integrated into your, into what you're doing there. Um, okay. What, where did you get to the decision point where you said, you know, I really need to add CNC and CAD cam kind of to my skill set, right? To be able to do what I do. Like, how'd you get to that point? Well, my main motivation for, for getting to that point was mainly the cost of outsourcing. I, when I started designing all my own parts, I, I still needed parts machine because I didn't have that capability. And the amount of your potential profits just went to somebody else. And it was always really hard to see that, you know, it, it kind of meant in the end, you had to spend less time on your parts because the money wasn't there to pay you for it. So I, that was my motivation to bring everything in house, learn everything. So everything would be exactly to my spec. And honestly, I could fail for free over and over and over. And that's, that's been kind of the best way for me to learn. And you're, you're self-taught. And yes. On Fusion 360, yeah, like I think all three of us pretty much kind of came from that same that same 
approach to well winston had some help <laughs> some professional yeah minor training. minor details learned like several different programs before i came to fusion um vince out of curiosity uh were you using anything before fusion or how were you sort of designing parts before your uh, digital fabrication age oh well before digital fabrication it was just pen and paper pretty much uh i had this really cool oh yeah no there's this really cool technique that you would rub your hand in the dirt and you would put a piece of paper over a part you'd want to trace and just slightly rub it on there. You get a perfect outline and you could transfer that onto metal. So yeah, everything was old school. So I've seen like you make some the actual parts that go on the car on your shape of code, but I've also seen you machining, um, I don't know, I guess you call them dies, right? Press dies for, yes. or forms for, for a part that's ultimately probably hand, uh, hand finished, right? welded up takes quite a bit of skill to, to do especially some of the mandrel work i see you doing in there or you know, like the exhaust systems and stuff like i don't know if anyone else is doing something like that on using a shape oko kind of as the basis of their business so that's pretty unique and you've um i think you start when i first started following you you were you had a completely stock shape oko and you were still doing you know turning out some huge or Huge for me, anyway. Um, aluminum parts, you know, car parts, uh, intercooler or end caps, I guess. So you, you've got quite a bit of metal machining experience on your shape, Oko, and I know you've been kind of modifying it and making tweaks to it all along. So you want to talk a little bit about kind of what was drove you to start modifying your shape, Oko, and what was kind of the goal? What, do you, what were you trying to improve? Well, in the end, there's only so many hours in the day, right? So... And you guys have seen me. Is I'll throw a 10, 15-pound block of aluminum on, on the bed. And I'd rather stand there for three instead of 16. So my mods are kind of tapered to that. They Was your goal to get kind of... It sounds like you were looking for performance uh, speed in particular, right? Kind of being able to keep it rigid enough to turn up the feed rate and get through your work faster, right? That was kind of the motivation to for the... The mods you were making yeah that's pretty much the mo- the the motivation what was uh sort of your your history of the modification like what was the first thing you did and sort of like where do you think you're you're going next uh so the first thing i did i actually don't even know if it really did anything looking back to it but it made me feel better <laughs> uh, <laughs> i made a little brace on the the z-axis to a triangular brace uh on the mount for the router because I felt that it just had a little bit too much movement. But looking back, there were other places that probably moved quite a bit more than that. But yeah, that was the first, how I started. And uh, I just kind of kept going with that. Yeah, I think like the Shape Oko, the way it's designed is almost like perfect for the, for Ed Ford's intended use case, right? As a CNC router, not a metal devouring machine. (laughs) Yeah, so like, Venture definitely an edge case for the shape Oko. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm really interested in that because that's kind of like I like to do similar types of material. So I'm kind of like I've always been keeping a close eye on what you've been doing. You're kind of paving the way, right, to finding where if uh, where the shape Oko can be improved for doing heavy uh, aluminum. And I think you've run some harder materials. You've run some steel on yours too, right? Uh, yeah, some one inch thick 1018 
It, yes. it ran pretty good. <laughs> I've run 4140, but it was like, I think it was quarter inch and one inch square. And I was pretty proud about that. You know, just machining three small holes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. My, now mine's stock for the most part. So, uh, um, but yeah, like I would like to potentially do something more aggressive on it someday. So I was kind of wondering, I, I, I've seen most of your mods look like they're focused on you know, either stiffening the axis or I think you did a couple of mods that were just about getting more, more, uh, travel on one of the, one of the axes. Is that, is that correct? So the, the Z you get a little bit more travel. I think you get, I don't know, three more inches, but it's hard to use that. But the other ones are pretty much stiffness based. Uh, I, I attacked the areas where there was leverage. It's pretty simple and put, you know, rails that the big machines use. You just have to scale that same technology down. It works for them. It'll work for us. And if they can make the parts, we can make the parts maybe a little bit slower. But uh, we can do it. You stayed with the stock router motor for a long time. I know you've, you've experimented with some other stuff, and you've got, I think you've got a uh, proper spindle in the works. But uh, I've been pretty impressive with what you've done with just the Makita routers. Yeah, it's actually pretty impressive for for a router that's meant for wood and you know meant for hand use. But the runout's pretty low, and honestly, the the cutting forces when you spin it up real high seem to match pretty well with the machine. Can you talk a little bit? I know you posted, I think it was yesterday, the day before, about the new uh, Corvette, the eighth generation Corvette, the C8 mid-engine car that GM announced this week or. Yeah, earlier this week, and it looks like you've got one heading to your shop pretty soon. Probably one of the first ones in Texas. What you got planned for that? Yeah, so apparently there's only 16 uh, of the first batch coming to Texas, and they're going to be sold at MSRP, so they're not allowed to be marked up. So those are the ones that you really want to get. And uh, we actually just put in the deposit yesterday, so it's locked in. But the first thing we're going to do for that is probably really nice exhaust probably titanium and I'll probably cut the brackets out on the shape Oko some eight millimeter titanium. I don't know. Like I, I want to be able to make something in one small shop that rivals what big shops with unlimited funds can do. You know, I may have to work a couple more hours, but just having that opportunity, that's, that's worth it. You think that's going to, are you going to keep it naturally aspirated or what are you thinking? Well, they, they say the ECU is uncrackable, but most people put a MoTeC on it or something like that. But that that's still, you're talking about a MoTeC with a twin turbo system and you're dropping $40,000, $50,000. I am going to build a kit. We don't know who's going to tune it, but I'm going to build one just because I want to be one of the first to build it. You know, and build it as much as I can. So Something I've been meaning to ask you for a while. So is everything you make like just for a particular project car or are you... Are you productizing any of the exhaust or intake stuff, or is it basically just made as part of a a customer's uh, modification to their specific vehicle? Well, all the cars that come in usually are totally custom. Everything for them is going to be one-off. But uh, I do have a couple projects, uh, like that Evo Dual Plenum, that is going to be a product I can offer, although it's also going to be custom to a degree. But I've built the workflow for that product to be so universal that I can mix and match runner links, tapers, all kinds of stuff, and and it doesn't really matter to me. So it's been kind of really cool using the CNC and figuring out how to develop that efficient, you know, lean workflow. 
so a little more to that point, I'm curious about what your your mix of time is like between machining and design. Like, how does that that um, fall out for you? And like, do you think a a faster machine would like sort of reduce your bottleneck, or is like CAD design iteration prototyping like where do you spend most of your time? Currently, most of my time is actually spent in design. Uh, I'm still a newbie to this. I've been doing Fusion 360 3D stuff for, what, maybe a year, year and a half. And it, being self-taught, it's kind of hard to, to figure out what you have to do and what works or not. But That's, uh, that's pretty good for like less than two years of experience. I'm in a different kind of situation, I guess. Like if it doesn't work for me, I, I don't eat, I don't pay rent. So it, it's actually kind of cool having that motivation, you know, do or die. Basically learning it all on your own. You haven't really like, you don't know where the limits are, right? So you might see something if you were an experienced machinist and you knew you had say just a shape Oko or a hobby level machine, experienced machinists might say, I can't do that. Like you don't know that <laughs> so you go ahead and do it and it works and it's pretty cool. You know, part of that is basically having the, I don't know, ha having like one way to solve the challenge, right? You have, those are the machines you have in your shop. And if you've got a part to make, that's what you have to work with. And it just gets done. Imagine like coming from, you only had manual machines, you know, and now you have a robot that can do almost anything you tell it to, if you tell it how to do it right. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I wouldn't be doing what I do if manual machine was the only option. I'd probably be doing something else right so i mean just from my background software guy uh you know working with fusion working with basically stepper motors robots is something i'm comfortable with machining was new to me but the like, kind of the underlying platform made sense to me but yeah like if i didn't have computers doing the hard part it wouldn't be as interesting for me so yeah thank god for cnc <laughs> <laughs> give any thoughts to expanding to like a larger industrial machine, a Haas or something like that? Or are you pretty good with the current, you know, current going forward with the shape of go beefing it up where you need to. And, uh, I mean, do you feel like you found the limits on that machine yet? Or you still got some potential. Honestly, I, I don't feel like I, I've found the limits and I don't, I'm not going to drop it. Even if I had the money to go out and buy a Haas or something better at, I don't know. I, I would really, really hurt if I crashed a Haas. That would hurt. That would, I would cry. But I can crash a Shape Oko, and it's not that bad. If nobody was looking, it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it. And you can go down to Home Depot and get some of the parts you need to fix it, which is, uh, can't probably do that with the Haas. Well, more, more importantly, as a, a guy who can weld, you can fix any mistakes in aluminum. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I have done that a few times, and that's actually a really fun thing to do, too. Taking a part out of the machine, welding it, and putting it back in the machine and making it look like it's never happened. Yeah, and you have, I think you have the most unique vice setup I've seen. Um, I don't know if you're still running it, but when we were there, you had uh, like a full-size uh, CNC vice. I don't know if it was a 4-inch or 6-inch, um, which is normally like, would use up all your Z height, you kind of cut a hole in the bottom of the table and it mounted the vise underneath it so that uh, it would actually fit on the shape of I thought that was really, really pretty clever. The thing with that was it kind of upset the balance, to be honest. I mean, that vise weighs 60 pounds. That shape Oko weighs 60 pounds. So it, it was, I had to do quite a bit of fab to kind of make it sit right. And, and it's a little more than it was worth, but it's 
really easy to set up, which I really like. And I, I actually still use it today. Yeah, and you have, I think you had the MDF uh, bed on your ShapeOko, right? Did you ever have, did you ever get the aluminum table? I have one with the MDF bed and that has a sunken vise. And then I have another S3 that has the aluminum table and I, I have a bunch of fixture plates for that. And, and that, that's kind of weird too. You have these different fixture and work holding philosophies. I've tried to use the Mighty Bite and kind of tiny fixture plate stuff. And that seems to work kind of cool, but it's not as universal as the vice. But I don't know. I, I, it's nice to be able to flip back and forth. I agree. And I think you've got a you've got a three jaw running on there now too, right? On one of those machines. Oh yeah, I have a three jaw that I can. Oh, I can actually put in in any of the machines. I could put it in the Nomad too. Did you just create like a a fixture plate for that? Yeah, just a bolt-on fixture plate, countersunk holes on the bottom, and then it it has a bolt pattern to bolt onto the carbide 3d aluminum bed but uh, i could put in the vice i can put it you know even super glue tape that works the best and i just on the nomad that'd be fine let's do a quick inventory of what you have because i think i the nomad you didn't have that when i was there on site so um so you had the two shape ocos that one was pretty close to stock i think you're experimenting with the brushless dc spindle and then you had the the uh, Godzilla Shapeoko <laughs> had a lot of, uh, it, I mean, it was only about a third of the way modded versus what you've done with it now with the linear rails and stuff. But um, so now you have the Carbide 3D Nomad 883. And I think you you recently uh, got a Phantom Tools machine, right? You were, you're one of the remote residents. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And uh, I, I love that little machine. So what are you doing? With that, is that kind of, uh, are you still just kind of learning how it behaves or are you actually doing some of your work on it at this point? Well, it, it has such a smaller kind of work area that it's hard for my bigger stuff to fit on there. But I, I had a couple projects that needed pretty much that spindle capability. Uh, it has a 26,000 RPM spindle. So when you're finishing with small tools, the uh, being able to feed it 100 inches a minute or something like that really, really makes a difference when you have a super small step over. So Yeah. Yeah, I could see and, that. And uh, it's also, I mean, for some of the stuff you do, the engraving capabilities on that machine might be worth exploring. Oh, yeah. And uh, I also, I really want to get into, you know, some PCB stuff and learn some Arduino stuff. And I think that's in the future. And I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to, to get that machine. Do you still have it there? I'm trying yes, to I do. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I need to kind of catch up on some of the stuff you've been doing with that. I saw your entry into the uh, Bantam Tools Challenge. I thought it was really cool. Uh, you, you machined titanium on the Nomad, and the aluminum piece for the entry was done on the Bantam Tools machine. Is that correct? Yes, I, I did a, a miniature little Bantam machine, and all the, the sides were double machined out of titanium 088 stock and then uh, the insides were 3d machined on the bantam because it it was just kind of cool to be able to do it with that machine but i was actually told not to do titanium on the bantam so that's why i decided to split up yeah i think that's probably at the upper end of <laughs> what would be good for that little spindle yeah um, well i actually did titanium the other week though it worked really well based on your uh, your experience with that machine um 
do your uh, modding inclinations have any plans for it? Like, assuming, like, you had one and you could do whatever you wanted to it and they let you, um, would you make any changes to that machine? There's one change I would make, but it, it's kind of... I, I really want to mod it, but I also don't want to upset the balance. And I feel like I, maybe I just need to learn the, to use the machine better instead of just wanting to make it better and upset the balance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a less, uh, you know, I, like my take is the ShapeUp goes a more amiable platform for modification than something like the Nomad or the or the uh, Bantam Tools desktop PCB milling machine. So I think they're more kind of like, you know, especially the, the BT machine, the enclosure, like everything's kind of designed together. An enclosure's like a stressed member. It's the frame for the machine, right? So I would think you'd pretty quickly like make a change and run into problems elsewhere with those machines. Things like work holding, of course, not really, I don't consider that machine modification, but uh, custom work holding and the stuff like Winston's done with the adding air blast definitely makes sense. And things that don't really impact the base performance of the machine. But you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I've actually been given the go ahead to mod it. And I did ask. And the only thing is, yeah, I'm not sure how to take it apart and put it together if to make sure it'll be the same machine, you know, because it is a stress frame. So I, I, don't, I don't want to ruin it. I'd rather just learn how to use it better. I mean, what kind of projects b besides the, the finishing, what else you got kind of targeted towards the Bantam machine? Most of my projects aren't really targeted just to one of my machines, but the nice thing about the Bantam it's the only one that's kind of portable. Like I literally unplug it and throw it in my truck. It's 17 pounds. And as much as I like all of them, it, it's kind of cool to be able to do that. So kind of good for prototyping and just kind of your, it's your notepad, right? If you've got an idea, maybe no matter where you're at, you can crank off a small, maybe a scale version of it on the Phantom. Is that kind of what you do with it? Yeah, I mean, I'll actually bring it to an apartment, and it's quiet enough if you are good with the cam to where you can run it in an apartment. You can cut, you know, aluminum, you can cut metal, but uh, you got to be a little careful. <laughs> I think I saw you, didn't you have it, like you were running it outdoors on solar power at one point, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I wanted to see if that would work. Yes. And I think it did, right? <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's my Mad Max plan or something. In case everything goes wrong, I'm set. I got a CNC throw it in the bus and uh, head for the hills. <laughs> exactly. So are you doing any, um, I mean, I know you're pretty busy because you're kind of doing this for a business, but um, do you do any kind of uh, hobby maker type projects just for yourself on any of those machines? Uh, well, the modification of them is pretty much the most fun thing I do. <laughs> if I can make them run faster and better, like that, that's my hobby. That's awesome because that just helps my work better, you know? Have you thought of uh, like accessorizing or, you know, productizing any of the modifications? I have, but currently uh, I'm not able to hit the accuracy that I want. And the one thing I won't do is put out a product that's not 100%. There's no point. You know, it doesn't matter about the money or anything. It's just you get the one person where it doesn't work right. And I don't want to do that. Yeah, I just didn't know if you'd give any thought to it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I do because I, I like how, how Carbide actually 
uh, you guys hired, they hired Luke. And now the HDZ that, that upgraded Z-axis is uh, you can, like hot swappable. You can click it in the, uh, the motion control and it's awesome. It's like plug and play. So I feel like if I develop a product line around, like it's something that's actually worth it uh, around something like that, I think it'd be pretty popular. If it works, at least. Yeah, I agree. I'm kind of excited about the next modification. Is it something you can talk about yet? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could talk about all this kind of stuff, but um, I have a couple of spindles, actually, aftermarket spindles, but uh, they are also a lot longer, so now I think that gives me the chance to upgrade the Y-axis to linear, so the Shape Oka will be fully linear rails, and we'll see what it can really do on a good motion system. Yeah, and that you have a tool changer or ATC compatible spindle? Yes, I have a 0.8 kilowatt tool changer with a SK15. So I believe that goes uh, ER11 or up to 7 millimeter. And then I have a 60,000 RPM spindle as well. Do you have any idea what you would move to for uh, um, G code sending? Because I'm pretty sure Carbide Motion won't let you do that. Yeah, uh, probably a universal G code sender. As much as I don't like it too much, it works pretty good. There's also CNC JS, and there's a lot of good macros out there. So there's a, there's a good amount of options, but it's nice to be able to use the carbide and the plug and play. I, I kind of wanted to talk about some of this dry machining, to be honest. I want to like swap notes with you about like um, steel and titanium, because I know your cutting parameters have been, well, to me, they seem pretty crazy, but... Uh like what are some of the the trends you found with like sfm and like depth of cut like what do you think you can pull off in terms of like let's start with um titanium let's say like ten thousand rpm and uh yeah let's start shape oko and then we can dive into the uh the nomad the bantam stuff because that's eventually where i'm going to be moving yeah well, I'm going to say I, I would probably not try to do it dry at all. I, I actually use a lot of the the WD-40. It's not actually WD-40. It's a mixture, but I use that as a, a reference for how hot it's getting because these metals, unlike aluminum, they don't have the same thermal conductivity, and that's what makes them harder to machine. But Yeah, I've heard that um, the the thermal stresses of just like the cutter entering the material can cause like uh, large jumps in temperature, and that thermal shock is like partly what cracks and chips the uh, the corners of the cutters. Oh yeah, and then once you have one cracked, you know the rest goes down, right? So you you officially would say if you can use any sort of coolant or lubrication on titanium, do so. I I would because heat is going to be one of your worst enemies for titanium but titanium is a little bit different than steel too in the way that it reacts and, and actually the way that your ratio is for how you cut it for your your axial and your your radial for me anyway but yeah what's sort of the uh, the guideline you go for like between them do you have like a ratio of like axial to, to radial or how do you pick and choose your uh, depths of cut uh i <laughs> this is kind of funny like i, I don't write anything down I don't go by percentages. It's just kind of what I've done in the past, and I tailor it based on what I feel like the machine can handle because every setup's going to be different. You vary the stick out, you know, 100 thou, and it's going to be different. And that, that's what I really like about feed override is I, I usually 
uh, cam down to my minimums and I use feed override to see what happens. And then I, I adapt based on that initial toolpath. And you tend to favor like larger tool diameters. And I, I, I'm talking specifically about aluminum here. Like, uh, you've, I've seen you cut with stuff bigger than quarter inch, uh, with good results. You've been doing a lot of work with the single flute, like Daytron and maybe other vendors, uh, in aluminum. Is that, is that still kind of your go-to end mill for aluminum? If when I have them and I can use them and I don't feel like they're in danger, I definitely do use them, but they're my most expensive end mills and also my highest performing. So I, I kind of use them sparingly. Also, uh, an eight millimeter at 30,000 RPM is kind of scary, to be honest. Uh, eight millimeter single flute? Yeah, single flute. <laughs> yeah, unless it's like, uh, especially if it's an unbalanced. I don't know if you have the, like, if you're talking about Daytron, the balanced ones or the, or just like a generic unbalanced. Like, I have some larger, uh, not that big. I have like a quarter inch, uh, pretty large single flute. That's, um, it's not Daytron. I can't remember who makes it, but that thing, even at 10,000 RPM, I can feel it in the machine, just the balance. So, uh, yeah, I can imagine like running it, trying to run something like that, at the high RPM and aluminum on the shape of go. That's what I, I, just, I my experience kind of ends with the one eighth inch cutter for the most part. Like I kind of work one eighth inch four, well, I'd say four millimeter and smaller. Um, on the machines I use here. So that's kind of like, I like watching you work with the bigger diameter end mills because that's kind of um, different performance realm than what I'm used to. Hey, uh, Vince, um, do you have any sort of guidelines for steel or stainless steel? Um, how, like, what would you do differently compared to titanium there? All right, so in, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, what I've seen, titanium doesn't like a high depth of cut it likes a, a nice high radial cut just a bigger chip and, and this isn't a huge difference it's just a little bit uh, and just the bigger chip will help take heat out just because the heat just will not move in titanium it'll just stay localized and that's also a reason why coolant's good but um like as far as recommendation type stuff or yeah like um do you I think you always run at 10,000 RPM, um, but like, do you vary up? Do you go for a, a deeper depth of cut? Do you change up your uh, your chip load? Well, actually, I, I do vary up my RPM quite a bit. Um, with with the, the Nomad and something like that, a 10,000 RPM spindle, I don't really have to worry about balance or anything, but I, I usually keep it pretty low. Even on the Shape Oko? I mean, what are, you, what are you typically cutting aluminum at? Uh, well, I, I cut aluminum that it depends on the tool. And, and like you said before, the, the balance in that single flute, I, I kind of vary the RPM based on, on what kind of balance that you feel. Cause that, that can make a very big difference. And if you have an unbalanced imbalance in the, the spindle, you're not going to have a good finish. You know, everything does matter. I know you have the, the WD-40 drip, but you also run a, a little mist ethanol system also sometimes. Yes, I, I run a, a Trico Micro Drop, and that was actually loaned to me from a friend. And it's a seven hundred and fifty dollar crazy, you know, minimal lubrication system. Yeah, I'd never be able to buy one, but he just let me borrow it. And I run uh, alcohol, I run WD forty, I run all kinds of mixes in between based on 
on the type of finish I want or, or how hard I'm pushing it or if I have to weld it, the post-processing. Is that working pretty well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it works great. WD-40, honestly, it was what saved my life in the very beginning. Like, I remember building my first JPL Richard drip bottle, and that's the only reason I could cut aluminum because I had no idea what I was doing for speeds and feeds. And, yeah, I mean, from there, I mean, it's been working really well. And uh, the the drip and the micro drop works really well. There's a lot of air, so it helps with chip, uh, chip evacuation, but you don't have a lot of... Uh, you know, moisture. Yeah, I could even use it probably on the MDF board. So it doesn't drops per minute, uh, the dial adjustment. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, ethanol on the on the Neo, but that's new to me. I'm not used to cutting with any kind of coolant. So I may be picking your brain about that, especially in aluminum. Is it adjustable on the Neo or, or how do they do it? I'm yeah, it's an MQL similar to what you were talking about. Um, it uses very little ethanol. Um, it's almost like, you know, it's a minimum quality, quantity lubrication, right? So it's, I think it's like a five liter tank and it lasts forever. Honestly, it, it's, I love the, the alcohol aspect in, in the MQL stuff. Uh, I, I used to have a cheap Amazon $18 Little Mist Fogger and it was just more of a mess than it was good. So especially when you have V wheels going everywhere, if you don't have a chip guard and stuff like that, and people think, oh, it's not a good machine, but it's like, did you, you know, protect your wheels and your motion system? Did you, you know, help it? When <laughs> you start cutting metal on the shape of go, that's where you start getting into, you know, finding some of those areas that would be kind of the first, mo- you know, first things you'd want to kind of fix up would be chip guards and potentially, like you said, the air blast or, or something to, to help the, help the machine any way you can, right. To kind of get through the more challenging projects. Well, and, and one of the reasons of modifying for linear rails on mine were to make it more reliable rails. They have wipers. I don't have to worry about chips and I, I would not having to worry about stuff like that is, is awesome. And I'm, I'm kind of really jealous. You're going to get something like the Neo cause and imagine just, I mean, even the touchscreen, that whole integration of everything just looks amazing. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think Winston's going to come down and check it out. So I'll let you know when that oh, happens. 100%. <laughs> me and Chris are both booking a flight as soon as you have it up and running. Winston's about 90 miles from me. So maybe, uh, or maybe a little less, right? So maybe come down here, check it out. But uh, speaking of being, you know, shop tours, Ed Ford came up there, right? You guys, you, I think you're... Um, Carbide 3D customer focus video was just released on on uh, YouTube. I don't know when was that, Winston? A couple of about two months ago. Um, yeah, about then. I think you've got the latest one. Yeah, and that was shot last year. Um, how was that? That was kind of your first uh, shop tour, right? Of, you know, kind of from the maker community. Pretty much, and I honestly wish I, I would have you know given given a better tour. Uh, I remember specifically we were walking through and I had the machine cutting and it was not sounding great. I remember it chattering pretty bad. And <laughs> it's just one of those things I would, you know, go back in time and stop that. It's just not a great impression. But uh, it, it was pretty cool. Uh, Edward Ford and the guys from the Beacon Media Group, you know, I, I believe one of them has Shape Oco and we were all just talking all day, but it was just really hard to get good, clean audio in the shop. But yeah, it's really cool showing someone the, the space. 
Yeah, I thought the video was great. Um, yeah, we're going to have, speaking of, the, we hope to have the Beacon Media Group, uh, Chris and Ryan on DFX someday, talk about what they do with their Shea Boko. Um, they're almost as crazy as you are. <laughs> Vince, what's the biggest diameter end mill you run on the Shea Boko? Uh, for steel and titanium? For steel? anything. Like, just the, what's the biggest tool you've ever stuck in there? Oh, I have some one-inch triple insert face mills, some 750 double inserts, uh, the four or sorry, eight millimeter four-in-one Datron that runs at 38 RPM, uh, 30,000. That thing's awesome, but it's also a hundred dollars, so I try not to use it that much. That's pretty cool. Just the fact that you can run it on the shape of goes pretty amazing. I think. Have you run that on the the stock one, or is that do those bigger tools just run on the the beefed up shape of uh, I actually, when my first one was all stock, I ran a bunch of 3.8 Taz roughers, and it was pretty cool. It worked really well, but the thing with the rigidity is I couldn't use the depth of cut. You know, I couldn't use the whole end mill. So, and, and not even the whole end mill, but I was going down, I don't know, 150 thou. So, it's like it wasn't really using the tool, it wasn't using the increased rigidity of it. And I, it's cool, like modifying the machine and through every step and seeing how much better the tools cut with the same tools. Have you gone or do you have plans to go to any of the uh, like Autodesk conferences or training or anything like that? Or you just kind of you getting enough from the online tutorials to kind of keep you comfortable with your fusion learning? I honestly, I would love to go to all of those. It's just hard for me to take off the time and, and have the funding to do that, especially being a one-man shop. And uh, I'm also pretty backed up. I think my log is, I don't know, three, four months. So it's kind of tough. But I, I, I'm jealous because there, there's definitely places where I don't have the knowledge. And it's hard to find specific knowledge. Yeah, there's YouTube videos. You see everything. But there's an, a prosthetic foot that I want to design that it, I'm having trouble with the joints, you know, and the joint motion of fusion, it, it's kind of tough. All the conferences I've been to, at least the Autodesk sponsored ones, eventually all the content from the conference ends up online for free. So this takes a, there's a little bit of a delay, right? Three, usually three to six months, but eventually, uh, even if you couldn't go, you can, you can sit through most of it. Not everything gets there, but I'd say like 90% of it. Um, you can sit through the, the video of the session and uh, get access to the handouts and everything. So, It's also the people you meet too and, and the relationships you make and other makers. And those are the kinds of people that are fun to be around, other creators, you know. Instagram account has a pretty big following. And are, are you, do you benefit like I do? Like do you get a lot of people kind of sending you good advice and is it kind of like a good two-way street for you? Uh, actually, I don't think I've had anyone really come out and offer advice, but I do have a lot of newbies and beginners, you know, ask me questions and it's nice to be able to go and try and help people out or at least give them a little tidbit of, of something the internet won't tell you that could really help you. Yeah, I, I don't want to nerd out too much, but uh, we'll be in touch about the, the steel stuff because um, the the secret carbide project is going to require a lot of help. Okay. Vince, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Really love what you're doing out there. Uh, probably come talk to you about another tour sometime, maybe uh, early next year. Come see how things have changed since last time I was up there. 
uh, especially if Chris and uh, Winston come into town. If you don't get down here, we'll maybe we'll get up there. Cool. Doubly so if you've got the uh, the C8 in the shop. Oh yeah, that that's gonna be fun, and hopefully I can throw a couple parts to you uh, as well, Ed, for the C8. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I gotta see if I can get up to the Vince level of finish on those. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that'll be easy once you have the Neo. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ahead and say goodnight, guys. I uh, enjoyed it, as always, and we'll talk next time. Vince, it's been a pleasure. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for having me.